This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Well, uh, today we're continuing on this series. Pastor Frank's uh, up in uh, Seattle today at the City Church with Pastor Judah Smith, a church that was uh, planted out of here a couple of decades ago. And uh, he's uh, there ministering today, so I'll be praying for him. But uh, we're going to continue the series that he's been on for a number of weeks here, uh, the Ticket to Life series. How many have been enjoying this? Every week has kind of been just a new, fresh challenge and another subject. We've been going through a number of these different tickets, and, and uh, we're, we're focused on 2 Peter chapter 1, and so this has been more expositional, moving through verse after verse, and today we're going to focus on verse 7, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, but a, a ticket is something that you use to gain access uh, to something, gain entrance to something, and th- there's a quality of life that the Lord created us to enjoy. And Second Peter gives us some of those tickets of using these tickets that God has arranged that you enter into a quality of life where you, you get to be the person that God intended you to be in. You get to have a quality of life that is so rewarding and fulfilling and enjoyable and it's what God has for us. But sometimes we miss out on things because we don't have the ticket. And uh, today we're going to focus on uh, one in particular. There's actually three words in Second uh, Peter chapter one verse seven, and we're going to go to that verse. Uh, it says, "And to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love." Now, in verses five to seven, there's these list of virtues that uh, God wants us to add to our life, and He sends us the Holy Spirit to help add these virtues to our life for us to grow in these areas. And uh, the previous ones have already been done a couple weeks ago. The endurance uh, ticket. And today I'm going to focus primarily on the godliness one. We call it the emulate ticket, which I'll get to in a minute. We'll also refer to brotherly kindness and love a little bit, but I'm going to focus mainly on the godliness one today. The word for godliness here has the thought of to imitate or to emulate. And when you think of this, there's a big difference between just mimicking someone and really emulating to emulate, there, there's, a, there's an inherent respect, like you look up to that person, like you admire them, you respect them, and you're drawn to them, and, and so you're motivated by the quality that they possess. The quality of that person just kind of inspires you to kind of step up a little bit or do a change in some way or to, whereas a mimicking, you don't have to respect somebody to mimic them. In fact, mimicking can be a form of disrespect. In other words, you can just mimic somebody or imitate them, and, and, uh, and, and sometimes... Imitation isn't, uh, if you don't understand the person or what they're doing or why they're doing it, imitation actually can turn out to be not so wise. I read a story about one of our presidents here in the United States from the last century, Calvin Coolidge. He invited some people from his hometown to come for dinner at the White House. Now, these were people that were not around political functions or they'd never been to a state dinner before, never been to the White House before, never been in this kind of a setting. They were just kind of hometown folk, and, but they come to the White House, obviously a kind gesture on his part to honor them. And so they got there and kind of not aware of the protocols of a state dinner. And so some of them decided that the best thing to do, since they didn't know what to do, how to conduct themselves at this meal would be to just do whatever the president did. In other words, that seems safe, you know, whatever he does, you know, just follow him and, you know, his example. Well, at at one point in the dinner, they were serving coffee. And uh, he, it's a true story, 
he poured some of his, he took the cup off apart from the saucer and he poured some coffee on the saucer. Not the cup, the saucer. And so the people are sitting there, you know, watching him thinking, okay, I guess that's what we do at the White House. So they pour coffee in their saucer. And then he takes some cream and sugar and puts it in the coffee in the saucer, not the cup, the saucer. So they, they're around the table, you know, they're kind of following his lead as they put coffee. Then he leans down, puts it on the floor and calls the cat. <laughs> I thought that was funny. It's like, okay, well, probably good to imitate, but it's better to know why somebody's doing something rather than just following their lead. And sometimes we treat the Lord as somebody we're just trying to imitate, but we don't get him. Like, why is God like that? And, why, and when it comes to godliness and us emulating God, we should be emulating him, yes, out of a deep reverence and respect. He's the best person around. But we need to also get him. He wants us to understand so that we're not just trying to act like him, like, like, like a child in, in a cute way might imitate a father's actions, you know, and, and you see it in church sometimes when the children are in church, you know, where dad's raising his hand, you see a child doing it, and I, I think that's wonderful, you know, and, and there's something really innocent and sweet about that. But sometimes with the Lord, we're just trying to pretend to act like him, but we don't really get it. And listen, he wants us to get it. He wants us to really know him, to really understand him, what he values, that we wouldn't just act like we value those things, but we really value those things. The attributes of his nature and his character, the way he loves people, we wouldn't just kind of act like we sort of like people because we know that's a cool Christian thing to do, but we actually passionately love people like God loves people. If he wants to give himself to the lost and the hurting and the broken and the dying, that, that we wouldn't just kind of do that in a token kind of way, knowing, well, we're supposed to be charitable, but we would have a growing passion within our hearts to really lay down our lives for those that are disadvantaged or those that really need change and help or redemption in their life. Everybody understand what I'm talking about? God wants us to get it. Godliness is not just an act, it's a reality. It's not just putting on a show or just acting religious or we come to church and we kind of sing a few songs and we feel kind of, okay, that makes me better. It's like, hey, we should be worshiping God, but it needs to go beyond just things we do externally. There needs to be something in our heart that is connecting with God and we're like God from the inside out. Amen? All right, well, the word that's used for godliness here in 2 Peter 1, 7, eusebia is a, is a uh, Greek word. And uh, there are several words used in the New Testament that end up meaning something more in the New Testament than they did in the common language, uh, the Greek language of the day when the New Testament was written. The New Testament was written in a popular common form of Greek at that time. Well, if you check out this word and its usage in Greek culture at that time, the way it's used in the Bible goes beyond. It's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, you've heard of the word agape, the Bible word for love, New Testament word for love. We'll refer to that later. It's in this verse, in fact. And uh, how in the New Testament, that word has a deeper, broader meaning to it than how it was used in society at that time. Well, the same is true of this word for godliness. Now, the Greeks had their gods, that they respected and they felt that they needed to fear and respect. And so the word godliness here has the, the root idea of like a, a reverence, like a reverential attitude. Um, it's a, a, and it's meant to be 
more of a, it was used in kind of a sense of you need to respect the gods because after all, they're bigger than you are kind of a thing. But it wasn't a term of closeness and it wasn't a term that would really affect the way you lived. In other words, it would affect your whole life. It's just, eh, it's piety towards the gods. That's kind of what it means. But in the New Testament, it's both a worshipful reverence for God and actively living a life that emulates God. It's both of these. So the way it's used here by mainly Paul and Peter in the New Testament, it's, there is this worshipful reverence for God, like God's the best person you know, he's better than anyone else, he, he loves you more than anyone else, he's, he's the, more dependable than anybody else, and, and yes, he holds his hand on the plug of your existence, so you should fear him, but, but it's, it's way more than that, it's more this worshipful, reverential, like, I love you, Lord, you're amazing to me, you are awesome, it's, and a lot of what we say in worship goes into what this word means, but notice it doesn't stop there, it's not only just this reverence reverence for God, but it's actively living a life that emulates God. In other words, we respect God so much and we love him so much and we're so drawn to him with our hearts that we can't help but we, we, we just want to be like him. That's just, it just, it draws that out of us. It's like, God, you are so amazing. You are so good. You're, I would like to be more like that. The Holy Spirit comes to stimulate this in us and to stir us in this. Now, it includes both attitude and action. So godliness is both an attitude as well as an action. It's not just, I reverence you, Lord, but I'll still live the way I want to. No, it's, it's reverence that turns into action. Like, I can't help but want to be like God because I'm so amazed by him. I'm so impressed by him. It just... It draws me to that, and, and it's also both worship and walk. In other words, both our worship and our walk are involved in godliness. What it means to become like God, it starts with worship. It's not like, well, just act the part whether you love him or not. No, it starts with worship, but it expands our concept of worship to include how we live our life. And, you know, in the Bible, it's very clear that God loves it when we worship in terms of singing songs and singing praise and, and, and the things that we do in church here. I mean, it's, it's, the Bible tells us to do it and God really likes it. And so if you wanna please somebody, you do what they like, you know? And so we worship God and he gets a lot out of it. But the Bible's also very clear that in God's mind, our worship is not just our songs. Our worship is our whole life. And if our life isn't matching the words we're singing, then it kind of seems insincere and shallow and almost mocking. So the way we go about living our lives is meant to be an act of worship to God. When we're kind to someone at work, that, that's worshiping God. In fact, when we go to work, that's worshiping God. Do you think of it that way? I mean, we had a series on that not too long ago, but everything we, whenever we do what God has designed and created us to do, Whenever we're pleasing him in that way, that's an act of worship. When, you go or, when you're diligent about the career God's given you and using the ta- talents and abilities that God's given you and the experience and, that you've accumulated, and when you're excellent in that, that's worshiping God because God's like, that's my boy. I made him to do that. In other words, it brings God pleasure. It brings him enjoyment. It fulfills him. When, when, we be the, when we are the kind of people he's made us to be and when we do the kind of things he's designed us to do, 
It, it blesses him. It pleases him. It, it's an act of worship. It's like, God, thank you for making me this way. And thank you that you're in my life. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. And I hope you enjoy what I'm going to do today. How many think if you went to work with that kind of attitude, you might have a better day? <laughs> Rather than, can't believe this is the only job I can find. <laughs> I got to work with those people again. <laughs> it's like, it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, doctoring somebody or making widgets. If you're doing what God has designed you to do, it's an act of worship. And if he's pleased by it, I think we should enjoy it more too. One more thing on this slide here. It involves both an inner desire but it's something that's outwardly lived. So this godliness factor that Peter mentions in this verse, it's an inner desire like, Lord, I just wanna please you. I just wanna bless you. I just wanna honor you. I just, you're so amazing to me. I just, I, I just wanna bless you. And it, that desire and that passion then is something that gets outwardly lived. Now, if it doesn't, if it's not sincere within and significant without, we're not real Christians. We're just playing some religious game. And we're just deceiving ourselves by a little religiosity that maybe I'm a good person. Listen, godliness is way beyond being a good person who occasionally does a good deed or occasionally gives to a charity or occasionally is nice to somebody even though it's not everybody all the time. We gotta pick and choose. It's like, I think the Holy Spirit wants to take us beyond just kind of playing a part of kind of being a good person, Christian, to being a real Christian filled with the presence of God, having a passion to love God with all of our life, to so be so in love with him and impressed with him that we just can't help but be drawn to wanting to be more like him. In other words, we love and respect him so much that we want nothing more than to be like him. Nothing would bless our heavenly father more than this. We love and respect him so much that we just want to be like him. You know, you become like what you worship, what you really worship, like what you really value, like what's really important to you. You, you actually become like that. You see people that look up to and are in awe of other people and how they'll start looking like them and acting like them and dressing like them. And, and if you, it's funny to me how this happens in so many ways in our culture. Have you ever noticed that all the nonconformists look alike? <laughs> it's like, well, I'm gonna follow that nonconformist so they all look like the nonconformist leader that they're, it's like, hey, we're built to follow somebody. Might as well be God. Might as well be the best person in the universe, you know? I want to reference uh, just a couple more verses here where this same word is used. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, uh, Paul talks about exercise yourself towards godliness. And there's our same word uh, that Peter uses. Exercise, exercise yourself towards godliness. In other words, godliness is not something that just either happens or doesn't. It's not just something, well, you're either born with it or you're not. You know, some people are just nicer than others and I guess... I'm just the mean person around that makes everybody else look good because they're so nice. You know, it's, it's not something that just is. It's something that you can grow, that you can develop, that could increase. Uh, God made us to grow. It's part of what it means to be human, that we grow, we learn, we change. And, and 
So exercising yourself towards godliness means you, you, you can set goals. You can work towards it. You can get better. You, uh, and, it, and, it, and it is a process. It doesn't just all of a sudden, bing, you're touched by some spiritual Holy Spirit fairy and now you're perfect. You know, It's like, no, you, you grow into this and you learn and, it, and it's, it's a process. It's a journey. And in between these two phrases I pulled out, it says, for bodily exercise profits a little. Well, it compares spiritual growth with physical health. You know how bodily exercise, you know, we all need to exercise and keep our bodies fit or else we pay the price for that. And boy, have I learned that lesson, you know. And, and, uh, and, and, but how many know that physical fitness takes some effort? Well, you gotta exercise. First 20 years of my life, I didn't think that was possible. The rest of my life has been learning that fact. It's like, you know, I, I gotta work at this, you know. It's like, it doesn't just happen. It's just because I watch somebody else exercise doesn't mean my heart's gonna be any better shape, you know. Now we have CrossFit, which I think is just another good way to kill yourself, you know. <laughs> we're, we're, we're installing a CrossFit gym in the campus over there in the Rocky Butte in the college, you know. It's like, I, I get sore just watching people do that, you know. <laughs> Everybody know what I'm talking about, though. Fitness takes effort. So in this verse, Paul says, so does spiritual fitness. He goes on to say, godliness is profitable for all things. In other words, physical fitness has some benefit, but spiritual fitness benefits every part of your life, both now and for eternity. So if we're willing to go on regimens and diets and do things for the sake of physical fitness, how much more should we be motivated and passionate and diligent to exert ourselves towards godliness? Now, I'm here to shake you up today. No offense, but you need this message. (laughs) We got too much spiritual flab in the body of Christ. And it's time to get going. It's time to stop being hypocrites. It's time to stop playing church. It's time to stop just being a nice person Christian and get really passionate about really becoming godly in an ever-increasing way. Thank you, Pastor Ken. I'm your spiritual personal trainer today. More, 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 more. Give me 10. Come on, right now. Okay, well, I won't keep talking like that, Another verse is 1 Timothy 6, verse 11, where Paul's personal exhortation to Timothy is he says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. The word pursue means to diligently pursue, like you're just chasing, running as hard as you can after something. And notice godliness is right there in that list. It should be something that we're constantly after, like I want more of this, I want more of this. Sometimes I think we, the enemy likes to discourage us, like, ah, you're a poor excuse for a Christian, and other people do better than you do, and, and he comes with all of these stratagems to try to get us to back off and cool off and back down and just stop, and, and like, yeah, well, you know, I used to really be pursuing that, but, you know, let other, other people are doing it, let the young do it, you know, et cetera. This is an exhortation to us. Pursue it, chase it. That means you gotta want it. Second Peter chapter one. Now these are verses that were covered earlier in this series. It says, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And there's our word again. Notice godliness is not just up to us. Now I just said we need to diligently pursue it with passion. But listen, God wants you to be like him more than you wanna be like him. 
He's into this, big time. And he's providing all the power we need to change, the desire, the ability, the know-how. God has given us the Bible. He's given us the Holy Spirit so that we can become like him. It goes on to say, great and precious promises that through these you might be partakers of the divine nature. That's what it means to become like God. You partake of his nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. Now, godliness is God's purpose for us. This is what it means to be human. This is not for a few superhumans or super saints. This is what God intended when he created every human being. Godliness is God's purpose for us. God created us to be like him. In the very beginning, when he created Adam and Eve, I mean, God's a father and he wanted to have a family of kids to relate to, so I think the highest purpose that we're created for is to have a relationship with God. But the first thing he actually mentions when he creates, creates man in Genesis 1.26 is he said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. The first thing God said when he decided to invent mankind was, let's make them like us. Whoa. I don't think we're really like him. I mean, he's smart, we're stupid. We're selfish, he's not. You know, I mean, well, I know sin messed things up. But God's purpose is that we be like him. God not only wanted to have a family of kids to relate to, he wanted his kids to bear the family resemblance. You know how in families there's kind of a family resemblance sometimes? You know, well, God was like that. He's like, you know what? If we're gonna have kids, let's have them look like us. Let's, let's let there be a family resemblance. Now, this image and likeness, when he said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, it wasn't referring to an external kind of image. It's, it's not like, well, let's, let's make man look like us on the outside. I mean, God is very clearly in the Bible, no external images. You know, he didn't want this image thing to be confused. It's not an external thing. And by the way, we all look so different. If we're made in God's image, which one of us is it that actually looks like him? You know, it's not an external thing. It's an internal thing. He wanted his kids to bear the family resemblance on the inside that our heart would be like his heart, that our character would be like his character, that the nature, our nature would be like his nature. Hebrews 1.3 says that Christ is the express image of the Father's person. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, the word image there, the Greek word is pronounced character. It's where we get the English word character from. Christ was the express character. He, he showed us what God looked like on the inside. That's something that God wants all of us to do. So Romans 8, 28 and 29, you're called according to his purpose, that you be conformed to the image of his son. God created us to be like him. Becoming like God is part of what it means to be human. Just wanna emphasize that again. Becoming like God is part of what it means to be human. God intends that we be like him, but we need to be clear as to in what way. God doesn't expect us to be like what we call his essential attributes. The essential attributes of God are things that make him different from his creation, like he's everywhere present, he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's always existed in the past, which kind of sprains our brain to think that far back. You know, he's, he's all of these things that we are not. Those are his essential attributes. And nowhere in the Bible does God say, you must be everywhere present just like I am everywhere present. 
You must be all powerful as I'm all powerful. You must be all knowing. No, the Bible never puts those attributes on us. We benefit from those attributes. It's kind of nice to know a God who has all the power and has all the smarts. You know, it's, it's kind of nice to relate to him and those, those attributes benefit us. But nowhere does he say that we are supposed to be like him in those ways. The attributes of God that he wants to share with us are his moral attributes. His moral attributes. He does desire to share his moral attributes with us. Now, there's plenty of qualities of God that are referred to that we would call his moral attributes. So, and these all through the Bible, God shares, he, he, he indicates how he wants to share these with us. For instance, the Bible, God says in the Bible, you be holy even as I am holy. You love as I love. You forgive as I forgive. Lots of exhortations like this, both Old Testament, New Testament. Those moral attributes of what make, the kind of heart he has, the kind of nature that he has. He wants to share those attributes with us. Now, we don't possess these apart from him or without him, but he wants to share that. Like if, if you need more love, God will give it to you. You need more forgiveness, need more patience. Need, if you need to be more faithful. He's a faithful God. He can share that with you. Everybody following me here? That those are the ways that God does want us to be like him when it comes to our moral nature, our attitudes, or how I many know sometimes you need to do better on your attitudes. And where do, how do you get a good attitude? Best way is to take your bad attitude to God. Doesn't David show us this in the Psalms? Like, take your heart to God. Whatever's going on in your heart, take it to God. He'll help you fix it. The Holy Spirit, the Word will help you fix it. Recently got to be with uh, uh, some of our grandchildren and uh, our, our grandchildren, the Wades and us. Uh, Gideon is five and uh, lives in Baltimore. And so we were, we were there and gonna have a nice day to go do some things together. And, but the day began with his father giving him an exhortation about his attitude. It was really fun watching my son be a good dad. Anyway. <laughs> but anyway, and of course I'm a grandpa, so... I don't have to do that. <laughs> I just get to have fun and play, you know. Uh, but anyway, so he, he comes, I said, Gideon, come here, you know, after he receives the exhortation. <clears throat> so he comes over and sits next to me and, and, I, and then I waited a minute and I said, uh, Gideon, could you help me have a good attitude today? He looked at me and he said, Papa, you're not a kid. <laughs> the Holy Spirit spoke to me through that. <laughs> As adults, we're supposed to have good attitudes, right? In other words, as we grow in God, as we become spiritually adult, it should be easier to have good attitudes. How do we know we need some work? Well, the Holy Spirit is here to help us with this. Now, sin derailed this purpose and process. We understand that. God wants us to be like him. Sin messed it up. We got all selfish and stupid. We understand that. But redemption fixes it. God didn't just say, you know, I've had it with these kids. They're just brats. Let's start over in another universe. You know, he, no, he stepped in. He said, you know what? We can fix this. God believed that he could impart his nature to us. And this is what redemption does. It restores and fulfills this purpose of us becoming like God. Now through the cross and through the work of Christ, our selfishness can get dealt with. God can help us have a better attitude. Our life can change. Our heart can change. Our motives can change. Our attitudes can change. We can become like Jesus. Amen? Amen. This is good news. 
This is great news. We don't have to do this on our own. God has laid down his life for this very reason, for this very purpose. Now, godliness is possible through the Holy Spirit's work in us. Philippians chapter two, verses 12 and 13. says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to act according to his good purpose. Godliness is possible. It's not like this carrot out in front of the donkey never gets it and God's always wanted us to do better, but we never will. It's not, let, it's not like that at all. You can enjoy the satisfaction and fulfillment of becoming more like Christ while you're on the way to becoming more like Christ. Instead of, and what, what the devil wants to do is get, is get you to think, uh, you're not perfect, you're not totally like Jesus, so what a failure. And he'll actually turn your good desire back against you. And he'll point out how far you have to go and make you feel like you failed instead of what the Holy Spirit does is point out how far you've come and encourage you to go farther. Who are you listening to? Who's your coach? If we let the Holy Spirit coach us in this process, we're always gonna be motivated. The Holy Spirit's always pumped about this. He always thinks he can help us. He always thinks we can do better. He always thinks we can grow. He thinks we can change. He's happy about the progress we've made. He thinks he can help us do more. Success breeds success. He's like the positive coach. How many know the devil isn't? Who are you gonna let coach you in this process of becoming more like Jesus? The Holy Spirit was sent to make us like Christ. It's like part of his job description. He's really into it and he's really good at it. He was sent to make us like Christ and he will go to great lengths to give us opportunities for this. The Holy Spirit, you know, he'll mastermind whole sets of circumstances just to give us a chance to become more like Jesus in some way. And often we think that the circumstances of our life are just, it's all about whether it's good, whether we like it, whether it's comfortable, whether it's preferable. Whereas the Holy Spirit is like, okay, they need to change, so let's give them a chance to do it. Let's make a living lab for them where they can see their need. Sometimes he'll mastermind a whole set of circumstances just so we can see our need to grow, just so we know what we need to work on. Have you ever had that happen? I was thinking about this and... uh, one of my first times to actually get it was uh, when uh, Glenda and I were engaged a lot of years ago. I had a job, and I was I worked for the Antichrist. <laughs> I was pretty sure. I mean, this boss was so mean to me. Yelled at me all day long, you know, just, and I worked so hard. I tried so hard. And I, I, I worked for three months, which I didn't realize till afterwards. I found out later that was the longest anybody had ever worked for him in 20 some years. So, wow, I set a new record, you know. <laughs> anyway, it, it, was, it, was, it was a difficult experience. And I'm like, but I need the money to pay for the car and the ring. We're getting married, you know, it's like a... And, but it just wore on me. Well, it, because at that time, during that time, Glenda was several states away uh, back in her home in Kansas City getting ready for the wedding. So, so and there's, you know, no text, Skype, that kind of stuff. It's snail mail. So I'm writing a letter, you know, every night to her. And, um, and my hands are chapped and broken from my work, but I'm writing it because I love her, you know. <laughs> 
Just trying to make myself look good. <laughs> anyway, so this, this one uh, evening, I'm, I'm kind of laying back on the couch, and I've been writing a letter, and, but I wasn't right then, and I was kind of half asleep, half awake, because I was exhausted. And I was kind of in that twilight zone, you know, in between. And in my mind, I start imagining, like, tomorrow when I go to the job site, if when I'm moving the scaffolding from this house to this house, if when I set it up, if I put some blocks and brick up on here, and if I leave a pin out over here, and then leave this thing positioned here so that when he steps up on... <laughs> and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just shocked me, and I, I mean, I just, I sat up, the Holy Spirit said, what are you doing? And I sat up, and I was instantly no longer in the twilight zone, and I, I had to admit, I'm plotting murder. I was so embarrassed. I was a Jesus freak, and we were all about love and peace, you know? We're not about murdering people, you know? I, I was wearing the peace symbol. <laughs> it's like I didn't know I had that in me. I didn't know I was capable of that until the Holy Spirit put me in a situation to expose my need for some significant change. Good. Everybody understand what I'm talking about here? Now, I'm happy to report that 41 years later, I have not murdered anyone yet. <laughs> yeah. Nice to know you have a pastor that hasn't murdered anybody, isn't it? Yeah. Like, thought about it, but no, no, I don't. It's like Billy Graham's wife was interviewed one day and she was asked, did you ever thought about divorce? She says, no, murder, yes, but divorce, no. <laughs> you know, Sometimes we don't know what we need to change until it gets exposed, and the Holy Spirit does us a favor. But if we're fussing and fighting with him about all the circumstances, we don't understand, like he's created this opportunity for us to grow, but we're just upset because somebody's mean to us. My next point here is that we need to cooperate with his initiatives. When the Holy Spirit gives us a chance to grow, we need to step up and say, okay, help me to grow, help me to change. By the way, the Holy Spirit will never point out your lack without intending to help you change. He won't point out a weakness without intending to give you grace to turn it into a strength. He doesn't taunt us, that's the other guy. He helps us. Remember, he's the good coach. Now, the last few minutes here, I want to go to the last two words in the verse, because godliness is expressed, one of the ways that godliness is expressed is in what this verse says, brotherly kindness, 2 Peter 1, 7. Add to your godliness, brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness is the word Philadelphia. It's where the city's name comes from. A Greek king started a city in Asia Minor, now called Turkey. He named it Philadelphia because he loved his brothers so much, and that's kind of where that all started. Well, and we understand if you've been around church or Christianity much, that in the New Testament, there are three Greek words for, there in the Greek language, three main Greek words for love, eros, phileo, and agape. And everybody's heard of agape, that's God's kind of love. But actually, God invented all three. He did. God invented all three. And when it comes to this brotherly love or this family affection, God invented this. So we tend to put agape as the God kind of love, but actually phileo is too. God invented that kind of love. In fact, John chapter 5 verse 20 says that the Father 
loves the son. This is referring to God and you know, the father and Jesus. And, he says, and the word there is phileo. The father phileos Jesus. In other words, he loves Jesus with a family affection. God invented family affection. And we honor agape because it seems to go farther because you even love your enemies. You have their best interests in mind even when they're persecuting you. And it does take love to another level of sacrifice, et cetera. But, but phileo love is legit. It's godly. It's John 16, verse 27 says, for the father himself loves you. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, God in heaven phileos you. He loves you. You're like kin to him. You're family. There's a bond. There's a warmth. There's a... Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. One of the marks that you're becoming more like God is you're just nicer to everybody. Kindness becomes a characteristic of your life. If you don't come by it naturally, you certainly can spiritually. Because this is an attribute of God. This is what God's like. Now, it doesn't mean, you know, Jesus was kind. He wasn't wimpy. I mean, he could chase the money changers out of the temple with a whip and a loud voice. So, we're, you know, Jesus is no pansy. But he was really kind. And one of the marks of God's work in our life is that we, we get kinder. We get sweeter. We're nicer to people. Not just to people that we think deserve it or they're nice to us. And I read this uh, anecdote recently. Uh, recently. Uh, Somerset Mon was... Uh, one of the highest paid authors uh, in England some time, a couple generations ago. And uh, his mother was extraordinarily beautiful and his father was extraordinarily not. And this was like a talked about fact in London society. And so a family friend once asked his mother, who was very beautiful, why she married her husband who obviously was not attractive. Her response was, he's never once hurt my feelings. Thank you for that response. <laughs> he's never once hurt my feelings. Something to be said for kindness, something to be said for a, a family warmth and feel, and it, it's one of the signs that God's working in our life. And then the last word in this verse is the word agape. Godliness is expressed through agape, or through a special kind of self-sacrificing kind of love. Sometimes, though, we kind of put this distant from ourselves because we think, well, only God could love like that. But he wants us to, too. But here's the key. We don't have to generate this kind of love. We don't initiate. It doesn't start with us. 1 John 4.19 says, we love him because, we agape, because he first agapes us. This amazing godly kind of love that goes beyond whether you're feeling close to somebody or not, or where you can even love your enemies. It's, it's, a, it's a love that starts with God. And if you don't have enough of it, all you need to do is get more from him. He doesn't stand back and judge like, well, you don't love enough. I think I'm going to flick you off the planet. You know, it's, it's more like we kind of think he's always judging us when really what he's wanting to do is love us so much that we're so changed by that that we actually become like him. 1 John 4.11 says, my dear friends, if God loves us like this, we certainly ought to love each other. Notice, we receive the love, we give the love. I want to uh, close here with a um, quote from C.S. Lewis. 
in his book, The Four Loves. He says, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you wanna make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. Ultimately, to be like God means you're willing to be broken when it benefits someone else. You're willing to lay your life down for the good of someone else. You're willing to sacrifice so someone else can be blessed. You're willing to be taken advantage of so that someone else can have advantage. You don't look to yourself. You... Now, how can we get this kind of selflessness? I only know of one person who's totally like that all the time. Isn't he amazing? Isn't he worth emulating? Isn't he worth imitating? God loves us. He's so amazing. That should so inspire us to draw close to him, not grow distant from him, and to allow that love to affect us and to change us from the inside out so that then we begin to love others more. This kind of love is the ultimate expression of godliness. And I think it's why Peter concludes his list with agape. What I'd like for us to do here before we, we go to prayer here in just a minute to respond to this, is I'd like for this to kind of be the conclusion of the message today. And that is that we would allow the Holy Spirit to make us like Christ. That's the whole goal of this message and of this verse we've been talking about is that we would allow the Holy Spirit to make us more like Jesus. Not to make us more religious, not to make us, you know, help us learn how to just put on an act. It's like, well, I know I'm supposed to be nice to some people sometimes, but really, everybody's got their limits. It's like, hey, you know, if once we reach our limit, that's God's opportunity. Have you ever been in a situation where you find it impossible to forgive somebody? You know how we can all forgive certain things. You know, somebody steps on your toes, like, yeah, no big deal. I got big feet, I understand, you know. But then there's always something in our life where if somebody crosses that line or they touch that area of our heart or, you know, it's like, boy, I just can't get past that. Well, this, I'm just using this as an illustration. Whenever we're not enough like God, that's when we most need to go to God and say, Lord, I, I can't forgive this person. I, I mean, I can't, why did you let them do this to me? He's like, wait a minute. That's not the point. The point is, I want to pour into you such an amazing love that your heart is so healed that that love can pass through you. You're like, okay, God, well, forgive me for not having enough forgiveness. And then, then you actually receive his forgiveness and then you have more forgiveness to pass on. Everybody see how this works? Would you stand with me this morning? My challenge to you today is... Even now in the summertime, I know the sun came out, we all went crazy. I can't wait to go on vacation, I understand. The Holy Spirit wants you to become more like Jesus this summer, and yes, that is possible. That's right. 
And we either just all got deceived by listening to this sermon and saying, yep, that's a good word, Ken, or else we're gonna be real Christians and we're gonna leave this place saying, Holy Spirit, if there's some area you're wanting to work on in my life right now, I wanna be listening to your voice. I wanna be cooperating. I wanna be responding. I wanna be growing to become more like Jesus this summer. How would you say you're willing to try that with me? Amen.